Greetings and salutations, friends, and welcome back to The Arcade. We are your podcast here, coming with you for our first time in the month of August. How's it going, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? I am Mike the Legend, who's glad to be back with you once again here. It's a new month, a new page on the calendar. Hope the image is something you enjoy, something you like, something that's going to bring a smile to your face through the rest of this month as you look at it and maybe make any notations on your calendar, whatever the case might be. It is your calendar. It is us. We are all together, back again. It's good to be back together uh, with uh, you, our listening audience, and just everyone in general, isn't it? Yes, uh, and this week I'm Dennis, the man who used a four-week staycation to finally beat Breath of the Wild. Ah, uh, you finally did it! Cross that uh, that long RPG off your list. Yeah. Um, yeah, but going back to what you said for one second before we get into what I said. Yeah. Um, said a lot of things so far in this first minute or two. Yeah, so in case it's uh, – this is kind of a bit of a momentous occasion. This is our first in-person show in 10 months. It is. Uh, you may have noticed that uh, we have been doing – and we've pointed it out too. We've been doing remote recordings uh, basically – since second lockdown, uh, where we live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and then through third lockdown as well, uh, we are slowly coming out of that. Uh, hopefully there's no fourth lockdown. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, touch wood, touch wood. Uh, but we are here. We are back together in person. We are both fully vaxxed. Uh, we are both more than two weeks beyond our, uh, our second vaccination date. Uh, and, and hell, you're more than two weeks past your sunburn. So yes, as we talk. <laughs> talked about on the last episode of this fine program so it's uh it kind of is i i mean for me still feels weird to be getting back into the interpersonal space of uh, people again we didn't talk about my sunburn oh that's right no too. We, we didn't talk about my sunburn. that's right we, we we canceled the last episode that we were gonna do because i had a super bad sunburn that's right the kind of sunburn where you actually feel sick because you actually got a little bit of maybe radiation poisoning from the sun. <laughs> Did you get any superpowers from it at least? No, just the uh, the ability to soak in aloe vera at an alarming rate. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, not very good. And by that, I mean incredibly bad and painful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, basically all I was able to do for about a whole week was literally sit on the couch with no shirt on, topping up aloe vera every, you know, hour or so, and basically not move at all or else it, everything hurt? That does not sound like a pleasant existence. No, it wasn't. Thankfully, that that's no longer the case. I'm perfectly fine, because the next week we also didn't record because it was the long weekend. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, here we are now. Yes, it's uh, we're back in person. The, the the stars have aligned to bring us back in each other's presence once again. It's uh, and I've said before on this program, I, I have the anxiety about getting quote unquote back into the real world again. And slowly, this is baby steps for me. Um, I I think this is the, really the first time I've been in someone else's house. Yeah, Th- that's not like a, a family or close immediate member of my family. So yeah, it's. Uh it's definitely been a weird time. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been the same case for me. I mean, haven't really been going to, yeah, like this is the first time we've really had, maybe first or second time we've had anyone who wasn't part of our immediate bubble in the house. So I'm yeah. not the first. What the hell? 
<laughs> All the years together, and I don't get that honor. Well. You think or, you know someone. Or maybe you are. Ah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think, actually, like, you know, we've gone for, like, walks outside and mm-hmm. stuff with people, but now that I think about it, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I think you might. If you're not the first, then you're definitely the second. And then it's, yeah, that's pretty much it. So that's, that's as good as I can ask for. But, uh, <laughs> yes. You know, still keeping things small and, uh, seeing the, the footage of, uh, large gatherings for sporting events still, uh, at least here locally, we had a football contest happen at a stadium with almost 30,000 people and seeing the crush of people on the concourse, um, just all gathered together. No, that is a big no scene for me. Yeah. I was actually coming home from Ikea that day. You know, I, I basically only started going back into stores in the last couple of weeks. And for some stupid reason, I decided I'm going to go into an Ikea. But also, it's fine. I mean, like, they have crazy limits in place. Like, in a huge Ikea, they have a limit of, like, 500 people. Mm-hmm. Plus, I went in the middle of the afternoon because, again, staycation. Exactly. Um, and it's a big enough store you can space out. Yeah. So, not really much of a concern there. Plus, you know, I was wearing masks. Everyone else is wearing masks. Continuing to wear masks in places, by the way, because where we are, they've kind of lifted all the mandates, it seems. Yeah, it went from uh, restrictions uh, and slight easing of restrictions to eh, just whatevs. You know, everything has been lifted all at once. Yeah, all at once. That band-aid has been ripped right off. Uh, We'll see how it goes, but uh, I'm not comfortable with all that yet. No, not not a big fan of that. Um, But yeah, so... I made the mistake of, you know, <laughs> coming home from an Ikea and, you know, I, I was not headed towards, you know, where the stadium was, but I saw all of the traffic on the coming the other way. And like at one point, like, you know, seeing people from in Winnipeg, if you know where the Ikea is, there was people walking. I don't want to make this like a local regional Winnipeg <laughs> thing, but there was people walking over the, the bridge. Um, on Highway 59 to the stadium, which would have been probably a five-kilometer walk, if not more. That's a long walk. Yeah, just to avoid paying for parking or because there was no parking, because it's 30,000 people and there's not 30,000 parking spaces. There's not, no. So, yeah, people where we are are basically – I know if you're an American listener, this might seem strange to you because – America has been opened up for quite some time because they did a far better job of their vaccination, it seems, than we are, we did it here. In- well, they, they got to their vaccination program up and running first because they had the vaccine approvals first. Yes. Yes. But so they could just start it sooner. But yeah, they, I think Canada has surpassed uh, America in terms of uh, uptake. Yes. Uptake. Yes. Yes. But yeah, per capita uptake for sure. But everything seems like, you know, any YouTuber I've been watching or anything like that seems like everything is wide open in the States. And that's not the case here in Canada, at least in our part of Canada. I think in other parts of Canada, that might be the case, but not here. Definitely not here. So they've, they started easing restrictions. Now they've pretty much fully eased restrictions with a couple of asterisks. It's because of, you know, if you have to be fully vaccinated to, you know, be at a certain place or whatever, but yeah, they they basically ripped the band-aid off and people are like super starved for going to things. So, of course, 
sold out football game. <laughs> okay, I guess that's a thing. Not for me. No, it's uh I'm not uh, I'm not that at that place yet and now granted a football stadium it's an open air stadium so it's basically being outdoors just in close proximity to people. I imagine you be uh, it's entirely possible to be in close proximity to people in a park or something as well. But uh, for prolonged periods, no. But uh, even so, I mean, we'll get to that point eventually. It will just take a while uh, because we've been going through this for so long. And again, one of the things we've been going through is the uh, isolation, the remote recordings for the past 10 months uh, that, uh, at least now for this week, is uh, not a thing that's happening. We yeah. are together in each other's presence. I can throw my pen and possibly hit Dennis. <laughs> if I don't hit Dennis, I'll hit the wall behind him. Uh, I uh, won't do that. Uh, good. Because I, I want to hold on to my pen. Yes, of course. That's the <laughs> And I know I'm not getting it back. So... Yes. <laughs> and this podcast would possibly be over. <laughs> <laughs> so it uh, it feels good. Uh we'll see we, we we'll see if there's a different energy to this program as compared to the remote recording uh episodes of the past 10 months. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to go out on a limb and say there probably will be. You're probably hearing already less awkward pauses and less talking possibly over each other by accident because of weird connection issues and things like that. And so, just the delay in hearing each other people and then responding. Yeah. That and, comes with uh, virtual conversations. So, yeah, I think uh, I think this should be should be good. Yes. Shall we, shall we uh, kind of get back into the swing of things with the, the ludicrous lead-offs? Yes. I'll just quickly glance over the fact that I beat Breath of the Wild finally. <laughs> I've had it for four years, and... It's done. Mm-hmm. The DJ's done. I didn't get all 120 shrines and all however many Korok seeds. No, I didn't get all of the Korok seeds. But I beat it. It's done. Was that satisfying? It was satisfying. Was it, was it worth good. the wait? Yeah. It was worth the wait. Though I, you know, for the next one, I'm not going to wait four years to beat it. I'm going to get it and probably play it right away. Did you have to uh, do any backtracking or reestablish where the hell you were, what you were doing? Oh, I started fresh. Oh, you started fresh. Okay. Yeah, I started fresh and just... That's probably the easiest approach. Yeah, because I had no idea of any of the controls or anything like that. And Yeah, but yeah, good game. Can recommend nice. at this point. I mean, if you haven't played it, I would recommend it. I will take your word for it, and I'm sure anyone else out there who uh, is maybe on the fence about... Finishing it. We'll uh, take that under advisement as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so do you have anything else on your uh, in your queue to go, or are you just going to basically spend your last week here of staycation, uh, stay relaxing on your staycation? Yeah, I, I started, started Super Mario Odyssey, and probably am looking to beat that pretty soon. Okay. And, you know, before I did start um, Breath of the Wild again, I also started a game of Disco Elysium. Nice. Which seems very interesting and weird. Um, yeah, I, I might, uh, I'm not quite sure how long that one is. I might not be able to finish it before my staycation ends, but we'll see. All right. Well, you still have a, a few days left and, 
well, let us know how it goes in the episodes ahead. But for the here and now, you mentioned that you would beat Super Mario Odyssey, the most recent adventure in the Super Mario games, which have... Uh, well, I didn't beat Super Mario Odyssey yet. Oh, sorry, no. You, you're planning to... I'm planning to beat Super Mario planning Odyssey, Planning to beat yes. Super Mario Odyssey. But again, the most recent entry in the Super Mario franchise, uh, which dates all the way back, of course, to Super Mario Brothers from the NES, which takes us into our ludicrous lead-offs. We have two items this week that are centered around... Super Mario Brothers, uh, two are wildly different, but both involve uh, ridiculous records that have been set now with Super Mario Brothers uh, for entirely different and wildly different uh, means and manners. The first one is an impressive accomplishment that uh, few of us mortals are able to achieve. Uh, it is a new speed-running record that has been set in Super Mario Brothers, but not your regular old-fashioned speedrunning. No, this is in the category of blindfolded speedrunning. Yeah, which is uh, not a thing I will ever participate in. <laughs> but it's a thing. It's a real category. And, um, you know, back back in the day when, you know, speedruns were still kind of new... This would have been just kind of like a joke someone did as a one-off and not really made it very far, you'd think. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> but Super Mario Brothers has been so played that, you know, pl- has been played so much by some people that they're able to play it based on audio cues alone, which is insane. Like, basically timing button presses to the music, essentially, so... Music or sound effects of other enemies, or when they hit other certain enemies, or even uh, uh, pieces of scenery, blocks or bricks or something of that nature. Uh, basically yeah. using sonar. Yeah, it's their, insane. Their own internal sense of sonar uh, in relation to the game, and it's ridiculous. The amount of time that would uh, be required to actually reach these heights is insane to me. But what's even more impressive is just the records themselves, because it was during the most recent Summer Games Done Quick, put on by the Games Done Quick people who do always do good work with their Summer Games Done Quick and Awesome Games Done Quick events. Uh, during one of those, the speedrunner Crescendo set a new world record run uh, on Super Mario Brothers, doing a blindfolded speedrun and clocked in with a final time of 11 minutes and 55 seconds. So a sub twelve minute run of Mario Super Mario Brothers for the NES blindfolded. Yeah, so <laughs> um I don't even think I could beat that game in twelve minutes right now, not blindfolded. <laughs> so Yeah, like <laughs> very impressive. Like speaking of like sonar echolocation, he was using fireballs as his means of echolocation. Um yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, and also it seems like he didn't take very long to get to the point of this record. Um, cause yeah, uh, according to, uh, Crescendo, he says, and I quote, I started planning this run on May 29th and started doing full game attempts on June 19th. Uh, I played in one hour sessions once or twice per day. All told, it was about 40 hours of attempts. He also noted that his skills as a musician may have also helped him master the run. Which could be the case. Develop more of an ear and perhaps a more finely tuned ear for the sounds of the game. Yeah, sounds of the game and when to react, you know, hands-wise to the sounds that are happening 
just like you do with a musical instrument. True. So that's a good point. Uh, and we've seen some of these speedrun records in past when they're uh, setting new ones. They may shave off seconds from a, from the previous record holder's time. Uh, in this instance, uh, the speedrunner Crescendo beat the record that was previously held by the speedrunner Dodai. Except this isn't just a few seconds that were shaved off, because the previous record time that was set in 2016 clocked in at 14 minutes, 46 seconds. So almost three whole minutes were shaved off. Yeah, and considering the record stood for, well, almost five years, it seems like, you know, this is a massive breakthrough. I mean... Now, granted, like, you know, with all things like this, once people realize some of the techniques he uses, like maybe echolocation with fireballs, things like that, maybe we'll see the record be broken again. But it also seems like it's just as likely that this record might stay for quite some time if the previous record of 14 minutes wasn't beaten for five years. It's true. And again... Uh, uh, Crescendo's skills, Crescendo's ear, uh, that has been finely tuned and developed through years of being a musician, certainly playing a part. So it, if it is to be beaten, it will take the right person at the right time, kind of the right moment to beat this record time, which I'm sure it will be beaten at some future point. But for here and now, 11 minutes, 55 seconds, that's damn good. It kind of makes me wonder... Are we ever going to see the moment, see the time uh, of a sub-10-minute run through Super Mario Brothers? For blindfolded runs. For blindfolded runs, yes. Maybe, but I think the impressive thing about that is this is basically only about twice as long as the absolute record, who I think was, I think it was set by, I think Cosmic still holds the record, mm-hmm. um, which the absolute fastest, I think, which is physically possible to beat the game is four minutes and I think 54 seconds is what it's at. So for it to be about, well, I mean, double the time would be just shy of 10 minutes, but this is like just over double the time of the fastest you could possibly beat the game as a human being. Using your full sight. Yeah. Using all of your senses that are available to you. Like that, like it, if the time alone doesn't sound impressive, just put it into perspective. It's only twice as long as the best someone who is the best at the game can possibly do, which is insane. Absolutely. So uh, a tip of the hat to Crescendo on this record time, uh, double tip of the hat to Crescendo for doing it as part of the Summer Games Done Quick, which is a couple weeks old. Yes, uh, we know, but... We're just getting to it now, and better late than never. Things happen along the way. We've been away for a couple of weeks, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so there, there is that. That is a slightly older story, but a new story we're going to get to uh, that just kind of broke earlier this uh, weekend, a few days prior to us recording this program here, uh, is that there's a new record that has been set uh, in terms of sale price of a collectible video game. Uh, I believe it was back in July... Uh, we, uh, were speaking, uh, well, we had planned to speak about a new record price that was set for the sale of, uh, A Legend of Zelda, uh, game that was sold at auction, and, uh, basically the day we were recording was when a copy of Super Mario 64 just went for an absolute bonkers price. Yes. 
And now that bonkers price of, uh, from Super Mario 64, which was $1.56 million has now been topped. Just a few weeks later, it's been topped. So the new record price for, uh, sale price of a collectible video game of anything, Super Mario, Nintendo, just in general, the entire medium of video games has been set with the sale of a copy of Super Mario Brothers that was sold. And this all comes from, uh, per an announcement from the collectibles website Rally, which is a website that is and service and platform that is fairly new that allows for fractional ownership of collectible items. Yeah, so you can buy shares in a thing. Yes, you can. So apparently Rally, the the company, group, organization, platform, service, however you wish to describe them, they had this rare copy of Super Mario Brothers in their possession. They were approached by an anonymous buyer, and uh, the final sale price was $2 million dollars. So this copy of Super Mario Brothers from the NES that was sold is still factory sealed. It's professionally graded uh, and apparently was part of a limited printed run. And the sale was approved apparently by shareholders uh, or the fractional shareholders in this collectible in the NES game. And according to Rally, the sale price uh, for this uh copy of Super Mario Brothers netted the investors, the shareholders in it, a 900% return on their shares. That's, um... I can't think of a single other investment that might get you something even close to that. Legal investment. Yeah, legal investment, of course. You know, like, those those heroin farms are really... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they're paying out, you know, 20 to 1, but, uh... 900% 900% return is insane. It is insane. Uh, I don't know what the, you know, initial offer was. I don't know what the asking price was, uh, what the uh, shares were offered at, how many shares were offered or anything of that nature. I do not have that information. Uh, this is simply information that comes to us by Michael McWhorter of Polygon. Uh, he is also citing a report that was uh, written up about this in the New York Times, which we would link you to. However, it's behind a paywall. And so that it will only go so far, but we do link you to uh, the article on Polygon about this. We link you to it on our website of the arcade show dot com. And uh, so you can read more about it there. But this tops the previous record, as I said, that was set earlier in July, one point five six million for Super Mario 64, which that itself more than doubled the record that was set three days earlier uh, Legend of Zelda, 870000 We now have a $2 million sale price. Uh, so the sky's the limit, apparently, for these collectible video games. Yeah. I'm curious how long before we see a $5 million price tag on something, and what that thing will be. Or, even, good, a, or even a $10 million price tag. For a collectible video game. Yeah. Well, at the current rate and pace of things, I kind of have to think it would be a copy of Super Mario Brothers. That seems to be where a lot of the attention is paid and uh, where a lot of the uh, well-to-do, well-heeled people in the high-end collectible uh, uh, game, uh, if you will, if you wish to term it a game, are putting their focus and putting their dollars. Although, I mean, well, again, we did see Legend of Zelda go for 870000 
And we did see, well, Mario 64 go for 1.5. Will it be an Atari game or will it be a game that seems suspiciously new to us? Hmm. Will it be another N64 or newer game? That's a good question. I don't think we ever truly understood or, or found out what it was about that specific copy of Super Mario 64 that made it such a worthwhile collectible as to reach the $1.56 million mark. No. Uh, we don't know if it's from a specific printed run that can be traced to, like, first off the line or something like that. You know, if you're dealing in collectible cars, you can look at the VIN or some sort of number on the vehicle itself to find out when it actually rolled off the assembly line. I don't think you can do that with copies of a game cartridge. No. I mean, I don't think they have serial numbers in the same way. Not in the same way, no. There are uh, quirks about the packaging sometimes, especially old NES games, where you can find out uh, maybe what general time frame it was released. Does it have a hang tab? What is the image of the uh, Nintendo seal of quality in the bottom right corner? What does that look like? Is it different? Uh, because one is more circular, circular, one's more oval-shaped. Is there the uh, coding Rev-A in the bottom corner of the front of the box as well? That tells you what run it's from as well. So Yeah. But as for determining if it's first off the line, first off the assembly line, uh, or first off the factory line, no, you can never tell with video games. But then also, as I said, it's a little bit like Schrodinger's cat, right? Because at the end of the day... People only really pay money for the sealed copies. And if it's sealed, you have no idea if that's actually what it is. That is true. Like, you might be sitting on something even crazier. Like, it might be a mispackaged thing. Like, you might be sitting on a sealed copy of Mario 64 that's actually a copy of The Legend of Zelda inside because there was a mistake at the factory. Mm -hmm. But you'll never know because (laughs) opening it up, Ruin some of that quality or ruin some of the, you know, mystique of it and causes it to lose value. Such is the weird nature of this, you know, collectible game. And it seems to be only with uh, collectible video games that we have seen this quick escalation in prices, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've, there's nothing else that I can think of that I'm seeing, like, the, with the possible exception of Pokemon cards. True, too. Yeah, like the Charizard is the thing that people keep trying to go after for the original run of the Pokemon cards. But beyond that, Pokemon cards and old video games and NFTs, I guess, not really much in the way of, well, let's just say, physical goods. Mm-hmm. Um, NFTs is a whole other kettle of fish that neither of us really understands. And no. anyone out there who says they understand it is lying to you. Yeah, I think so. Uh, they, they, in my mind, would be akin to the, uh, the gamblers, the quote-unquote pro or expert gamblers who have a system. Yeah, who quote-unquote have a system and <laughs> got it this time. Yes, they'll teach you their system for, uh, you know, only, uh, five ninety nine a minute if you, minute if you call this hotline. Or they'll write a book about their system and, <laughs> yeah. And you know how the rest usually goes. And charge you forty nine ninety nine plus shipping. Yeah, and then then they open up a snake oil company and they uh, start you know selling snake oil for, for whatever reason mm-hmm. that type of thing. Yeah, it's a it's a natural cure all. By the way, um, I believe snake oil is actually a, a product offered by Goop. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on that nonsense. <laughs> actually. Don't get my partner started on that nonsense. She'll rant at you about like how Gwyneth Paltrow's an idiot and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, 
I mean, that sounds like it would be entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it is, but it's not. It's not on this podcast. True. It's a it's a different time. Uh, yeah. But I'll bear that in mind for a future encounter. So, so yes. So a crazy, uh, crazy kudos to uh, Crescendo, the speedrunner for the blindfold speedrun record in Super Mario Brothers, and uh, confused expression cast towards the person who paid two million dollars for this copy of Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, so they bought it, they paid two million dollars. What are they hoping to sell it for in a couple of years time? I have no idea. Though I, I have to say, I kind of like the idea of rally. I didn't know what it was before. Sounds kind of interesting. Now, do you like it more when you heard that there was the 900% return on investment? <laughs> <laughs> well, and the fact that like, you don't have to buy the whole game to get a part of that That's benefit, true. right? You are like, not taking on the entire risk of that item. Like, considering we now know that video games, Pokemon cards, things like that are actually hot commodities, why not try to, you know, buy a share or buy a part of one of these items that you know is going to appreciate in value to the point where someone is going to spend a stupid amount of money for it? Mm-hmm. Why not, right? You know, become, you know, play the system if you know how to play it, right? It's easier to come up with the amount of money to buy, you know, one share or a couple of shares in one of these collectible items as opposed to trying to scrounge together the now millions required to buy the game itself outright. Exactly. So your return on investment won't be as high in terms of, uh, you know, total amount, but you're still not out two million dollars. For for a video game, yeah, and frankly, you know, the the type of person that would probably go for a, a fractional share of something like this, you're probably you know trading, you know, whatever. Anyways, like you might be in the meme stocks, you might be doing you know cryptocurrency. Anyways, and hey, those things are super risky. Anyways, why not try something different, right? Absolutely, and as it is now, you can. There are, uh, I believe, platforms where you can buy slices or fractions of stocks. Uh, there might be some higher price securities, maybe something like a Shopify, for example, yeah. an Apple, a Facebook, where to own a whole share all on your own is maybe tens a little- of thousands of dollars in some cases. Oh yeah, if you want to buy a Berkshire Hathaway, it's like thirty, forty thousand per one share. Yeah, well, Shopify Shop is, is at I think twenty five thousand right now. Jesus God Almighty! Or, well, it's, it's ten, I think for sure. I might be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. I don't have my stock ticker open, <laughs> but yeah, some there there but are some se- companies. It's several thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, even just for one share, uh, and perhaps that's a class A, you know, voting share, or you know, might be cheaper for a class B non-voting share. But there are some very expensive ones. Hell, if you want to buy uh, Nvidia or something like that, you know, you're still paying se- a couple hundred dollars for one share of that company, and. I mean, stock market is a risky game in itself, or so you could mitigate some of that risk just by buying a fraction of a share and going into, uh, you know, that share with a, a several other people, whatever the case might be. But oh, apologies, I, I had to look it up. Shopify Class A's are just shy of two thousand right now, so not ten thousand dollars. No, but two thousand, which is still expensive. Yeah. To, to the common folks such as you and I and the others who would listen to this program, $2,000 for one share of a company is quite a lot. Yeah. So. Though GameStock is back up to $150 again, so. Woot! 
but some Wall Street bets people are happy about that. Uh, true, diamond um, hands. <laughs> all the diamond hands. Yes, all the diamond hands. Uh, so you can mitigate, again, some of the risk uh, in these risky endeavors, such as collectibles, such as the stock market, by taking on fractional ownership, or you could just buy mutual funds that will just you know, distribute uh, their money and buy different things with other people. And basically be the safest option for you as an investor. Yes, exactly. But yeah. uh, where's the fun in that? Uh, so I know Rally is, uh, a you know, uh, a company doing the fractional ownership uh, collectible game. There's another company I read about recently called Otis that uh, is doing the fractional ownership of collectible thing as well. Uh, I'm sure there will be others down the line that do the same thing as well. Those are just the first two I've seen come across the wire. Yeah. So Rally, Otis, uh, and now this is going to be a competition, I think, on the part of these companies to own the uh, the collectible things here that are going for crazy amounts of money, be it a Pokemon card, be it a collectible video game. Yeah. But, like, it gets to a point when it's like, well, obviously that's a bubble. Oh, God, yes. I mean, yeah. Not not to get too too into finance land here. I know you're listening to our podcast because we're so entertaining about video games and like to really talk about that type of thing. And this isn't like you know mad money or anything stupid like that. But we're not some NPR money podcast or economics yeah. or anything. No, and neither one of us have economics degrees. And you know, take our brain for take our opinion with a grain of salt. We really don't know what we're talking about at the end of the day. But I'm just gonna say that's a bubble. Because it, you're literally going to get to a point where it's just these companies buying them off of each other and, you know, artificially raising the price until it gets to a point where it's like, people are going to be like, I'm sick of my 5% in, I'm, you know, my 5% return on investment. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And then no one wants to buy the thing. Now it's worthless. You know, it got to the dizzying highs of like, you know, who who knows what percentage of returns you're going to get? Eighteen hundred, two thousand percent return. Mm-hmm. Now you lose. Now you lost everything. Like Icarus, you flew too close to the sun, <laughs> and your bubble popped. Yeah, basically, yeah. that's a good way of putting it. A nice succinct way of putting it. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Nintendo, uh, they recently came out with their quarterly report uh, and gave an update on just how many units of the Nintendo Switch have been sold to date. Oh, and, and spoiler alert, Nintendo would be a good stock to buy. They would be. Yeah. Uh, they would have been a good stock to buy a couple of years ago, too, before the Switch launched. Yeah. They would have been a good stock to buy during the, the dark days of the Wii U. Yeah. Exactly. It would have been a thing of like, well, Nintendo really screwed up this time, but they always have something on the go. <laughs> so to become a shareholder then, you would have been like, oh. Now you're seeing some returns if you had uh, bought and held to this point. Yes, exactly. But uh, Nintendo, they, it's been a good run with uh, the Switch in the past couple of years. Uh, we know basically out of the gate, and for the first couple of years it sold like hotcakes. Even so, continued to sell like stupid hotcakes last year. On the backs and powered by uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons, uh, because everyone was basically stuck at home, needed something to play, and something that made them feel good. You know, didn't have stakes, wasn't life or death, because the outside world literally had become life or death. Yeah. So they needed something to relax with. Animal Crossing was that escape for a lot of people, so they bought a Switch. And Nintendo uh, reporting their quarterly figures, sales of the uh, Switch lifetime to date 
uh, now topping 89 million units sold, which apparently uh, makes it the seventh best-selling games console of all time, having now passed the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 to attain that uh, that mark. Of uh, I believe the full amount is 89.04 million units sold, which apparently will put it on track to outsell the Wii U uh, within the next financial year, uh, or... Uh, sorry, within the current financial year, which expires in March of next year. Businesses don't always follow the calendar year with their uh, financial years, but according to their projections, they are expecting to sell uh, another 20.5 million consoles in the current financial year, which, uh, yeah, would take it past the Wii U, or not the Wii U, <laughs> Wii U, silly me, the Wii which sold 100.1 or 101.63 million units in its lifetime. The yeah. majority of which came in the first three years. Yeah. First three to three and a half years. Yeah. Before that, um, you know, honeymoon period with motion controls had worn off. Yes. And, uh, really before the market became flooded with shovelware titles that, uh, were trying to take advantage of the motion controls, but did really piss poor jobs of it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the Switch doesn't really have to worry. It's not based around motion controls. Yeah, I mean, the way that they incorporate the motion controls is not bad. Like, they realize it's a bit of a novelty. People don't want to be doing this all the time. You know, all the best games that I've played so far, including Breath of the Wild, Mario, Super Mario Odyssey, they use motion controls a bit, but they don't force you to. Zelda does a little bit, but it's not really much. But anyways, it's not the stupid, like... When they did the the Wii version of like Twilight Princess, for example, that where you had to like you, know, you had const- to swing to strike your sword, right? Yeah, like I don't think they had a button to do that. You no. had to like, constantly be moving your hand around. It's like, well, this is stupid. Like, it's a Zelda game. Of course, you're using your sword all the time. That's right. And uh, I think I got a copy of uh, Twilight Princess on on the Wii, but I couldn't play it after a while. And yeah, I borrowed your copy for the GameCube, and that's how I played Twilight Princess. Yeah. Yes. Ah, it's all coming back to me the 15 years ago. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It was a long time. Yep. Uh, So in its lifetime, the Xbox 360 sold roughly 86 million units. The PS3, meanwhile, sold uh, 87.4 million units. The Switch has now surpassed those at 89.04 million units. Uh, But there's still quite a gap between where the Switch is now, uh, where it needs to go to catch up to the Wii, and ultimately where it needs to be to be at the top of the mountain as the highest and best-selling game console of all time, that uh, honor goes to the PlayStation 2, which in its lifetime sold 155 million units. Yeah, the PlayStation 2 was, like, without a doubt, like a banana's, like, money-printing machine. For a good 10, 10 years. 10 yeah, which is like, they kept it going for a lot longer than, you know, a typical console cycle was because people were still buying it. You know, and like, why stop making a thing if it's still selling, right? And not only that, uh, not, uh, there was the initial model of the PlayStation 2, but then they uh, did a model revision with the PlayStation, basically the Slim. Yeah. And that created a whole other surge of uh, buying as well. Yeah. I want to say, like, I might be wrong in saying this, but it felt almost like there was very little gap between the end of PlayStation 2 sales and the beginning of the PlayStation 4 sales. That's a good point. I think uh, the 
the PS2 was finally discontinued not long before the PS4 launched. Yeah, because like the PS3, obviously like the PS3 kept being sold well into the life cycle of the PS4 as well. Like Sony pretty good for a lot of overlap Mm -hmm. usually, but the PS2 in particular was like a lot of overlap. It was, and there was still consumer demand. It gradually waned, but uh, the uh, the PlayStation 2 was one of those evergreen consoles. Yeah. Just kept selling, kind of like a Game Boy or a Game Boy Advance, you know, something like that, that just kept selling year in, year, uh, year, in year out, even if it wasn't popular, even it, or the most popular, if it wasn't the newest, wasn't the most uh, graphically intense or, or advanced. Still had a demand, so yeah. Uh, Nintendo Switch will it be one of those? Time will tell. But right now, up to eighty nine million units, and again, Nintendo projecting uh, within the next year, it's going to surpass the Wii, which is a ridiculous total. Uh, just one other one other aspect from Nintendo's uh, quarterly reporting that uh, I found interesting in terms of software sales. They reported that sales compared to last year were down, but then also had to. Basically put a disclaimer and say that sales last year were an outlier and more essentially bananas than what they had anticipated because of the strength and popularity of Animal Crossing New Horizons set the bar so damn high for sales. Yeah, like if you were a company like like a Nintendo or were, you know, based in one of these industries that, you know, saw a shot in the arm because of the pandemic and because of like, you know, so like social and isolation stuff like video games or even like people, the Etsy crafting market. Yeah. Etsy crafting market, Kickstarter campaigns and things like that or crowdfunding in general, you know, people trying to, you know, do what they can to keep themselves afloat, starting their own companies, coming out with things like that. If your company was based on basically, like, if you saw your massive surge of sales during the pandemic and thought, this is going to keep going forever, you're, you're dumb. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you deserved, like, <laughs> your fate should be the same as, like, Homer Simpson on that episode of The Simpsons where they had, uh, you know, there was the angel sighting and then Homer's like, well, what the hell? Like, you know, after, you know, after he, he lost the angel and whatever and the, the angel skeleton, mm-hmm. I should say. And, uh, you know, <laughs> when all the, f- the fever started to die down, <laughs> it was like, what the hell am I going to do with 50,000 angel ashtrays? <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, that's hubris, my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, good God. But, uh, yeah, it's good to see, obviously, Nintendo's been around long enough that they are building that into their projections going, yeah, shouldn't really base things on that year over year. Like, it's going to be a big spike. Like. It's just not a sustainable thing. No, it's not. So uh, we'll be interesting to see how sales kind of play out for this year, as uh, this year seems to be a year where life is, quote-unquote, getting back to normal. Things are opening back up. People perhaps aren't stuck at home as much as they were in 2020. Time will tell for all of that. But people in the pandemic spend a lot of time watching Netflix as well. Uh, If you remember early on, the popularity that Tiger King had as a series – on yep. Netflix became the the pop culture uh, meme du jour or meme factory du jour for that period of time, um, and also just the the that one com- for a very brief period of time that one common cultural touchstone. Yeah, it's a, the one thing that like people 
watch to take their minds off of the pandemic that everyone could, you know, you know, quote and make fun of. It's like coming up with all the ridiculous Joe Exotic memes and you know, all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, Netflix is another one of those companies. Hopefully they treat the pandemic year as a bit of an outlier in terms of, you know, streaming numbers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I think Net- like Netflix is here to stay. Like it's <laughs> it's permanently shifted, you know, the way that people consume media. So not a not- fly by night operation. No, like it's it's around for the long haul. I think at this point. And but as such, as a company that's you know kind of shifted their focus in the last few years of just being a repository for all of the crap that you want to watch. To hey, maybe we are also a premium content creator as well, which is why maybe you're paying a little bit more to watch stuff. Because you'll see it here on Netflix first, or because it's a Netflix show and you can only see it here. And, you know, unless, and we'll make it very hard for you to, you know, illegally pirate it or whatever. Um, as such, they need to be creating content. So, we've been seeing, you know, some very interesting pieces of content start to be made, including a lot of kind of video game related media. A lot of video game related media. There's the Witcher live action series they have going on on Netflix at the moment. Season one already available. Season two, I believe is coming soon. Uh, if it hasn't launched already. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm eagerly awaiting when it launches, um, with, uh, Henry Cavill as uh, yeah. Geralt as Geralt. Yes. Yes. Geralt. Uh, and I think enjoying every minute of it too, as Henry Cavill is a big nerd. Yeah. He, he loved the games and he plays a lot of video games and was very excited to get to jump at the role of, of Geralt. And you know, he does a good job if I'm, if I say so myself, um, a lot of also, anime content as well. Yeah. Like the Castlevania series, has been was a, basically a surprise hit for Netflix, mm-hmm. and it's has four seasons now on Netflix, which is bananas for a video game related thing to be so well received. And yeah, uh, there's also, I believe, uh, a few different iterations of Resident Evil coming to Netflix as well. I believe there's a live action series. I believe there's also uh, an animated series as well coming. Uh, that will tell a different story, uh, than what the live action is, but, uh, basically things from the video game world that have a built-in fan base coming to Netflix. And there were the rumors years and years ago that uh, Nintendo might be partnering with Netflix to do a Legend of Zelda live action series that never exactly got off the ground. Although subsequent scuttlebutt was that once the reports were leaked, Nintendo then got, uh, cold feet and, uh, uh, decided to back out at that moment on the basis that, well, it'd been leaked and, and for whatever else, Nintendo was a little skittish at times. Yeah. But, uh, so, which kind of makes it interesting that another Nintendo property is now, uh, believed to be coming to Netflix at some point in time in the future. Uh, this one has a very big built-in audience. This one is Pokemon. Yeah, so... Pokemon, you know, there's there's always been Pokemon TV shows on. Basically from the start of the game series slash card series slash the original, franchise. Yeah, the original wave of Pokemania or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always been a Pokemon series, but it was it's always been a cartoon. It's a Japanese animated anime. Um, then dubbed over, I dubbed think, over, by the Ocean yeah. Group here. I think it was the Ocean Group, yeah. Uh, I don't know if... All of them are the Ocean Group. I don't even know if the Ocean Group is still around, but, um, yeah, 
there's been a Pokemon anime, at least an iteration of it going. It's kind of like Power Rangers at this point. Yeah, basically. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there have been a couple of, like, movie forays as well. But, again, those were animated. And, you know, with Pokemon, you'd think, well, how would you not animate it? Uh, that's what you would have thought until you saw Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu was a surprising breakout hit. I don't think Nintendo had any plans that, or had any idea that it would be as successful as it was. Uh, no, and it was a, a different take on how to do a Pokemon movie, uh, on top of the fact that it was a combination of live, live action and CG animation yeah. that brought the Pokemon, quote unquote, into the real world. Yeah, and, but arguably I think like it only works now because I think CG animation is finally at a point where it doesn't look like total dog shit. Like, like if you look at the CG animation of 20 years ago in movies, it looks like crap. Oh god. Like yeah. it's just awful to look at. And it's like, oh, why did they do that? Like they could have just had a practical effect or like, Something else, like what are they doing with this awful CG animation? I feel like really only in the last like 10 years maybe has that started to kind of shift. And we're at the point now where it's like I'm I'm fairly confident at this point to say I don't think we'll look back at Detective Pikachu in 2030 and say, oh, that looks like garbage. Like we're probably going to say, oh, yeah. I mean, it might look a bit old and antiquated compared to what the uh, animation technology will be at the time, but I don't think the difference is going to be as stark as uh, what the animation technology of, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago was compared to now. Yeah. So there is that, but the, uh, yeah, Pokemon is the franchise that apparently is going to come to Netflix in a live action version. And it's going to be done in quote-unquote Detective Pikachu style in that it's going to be a combination, real-world flesh-and-blood actors done uh, in the shot in the live action with CG animated Pokemon over top of it, just like Detective Pikachu. Not that it's going to include Ryan Reynolds uh, doing voice acting or anything like that. I mean, that'd be awesome, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but in that style and uh, where the Pokemon are depicted to look as though they would uh, appear in the real world, which kind of was one of the things that caught me off guard about Detective Pikachu in that they they were not cutesy. They were no. not done in a Saturday morning cartoon style. No, they, they looked like, you know, almost like you would imagine they would really look if they were in, like, nature. Like, yeah. like Eevee, you know, it, it's like a cartoony version of a fox, but if you saw a real Eevee... They would have, like, they made it to look kind of like a fox, just with a bunch of tails. So, yeah. That that type of thing. Like, you know, like, of course, Pikachu, none of them would exist in nature. None of them do exist in nature. Like, And thank God. Yeah, thank God. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, it's a very interesting take. The other, the other thing I thought was very kind of bizarre about this um, announcement, though, is that uh, the... The producer, well, the, the, the person attached to, uh, write and be the executive producer is a guy named Joe Henderson. Doesn't ring a bell. Right. But the, the kind of crazy thing to me about this is that he was the, uh, 
the co-showrunner and was an executive producer on another Netflix show called Lucifer. Yes, I've heard of it. Which is nothing like Pokemon, <laughs> as far as I know, in terms of content matter or subject matter and like content and demogra- intended demographic, perhaps. Uh, I I recall Lucifer being a uh, uh, broadcast network show, like on Fox or, or NBC or something like that, with a really hunky-looking Lucifer yeah. who's in Los Angeles and possibly helping to solve crimes. <laughs> yeah, the devil's helping to solve crimes. Because everything is now like a, a true crime series or something like that. Yeah. Or not true crime, but some sort of crime-related series. But, uh, yeah. So I think it's uh, – my understanding was it's just a hunky Lucifer, you know, basically having hunky sexy times and adventures in Los Angeles while being a hunky – you know, the hunky devil. Yeah. Hunky devil. <laughs> Almost sounds like, you know, he's ready to make pierogies. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but uh, But, yes – so, we're not sure if there's going to be any hunky Pokemon. Hey. Maybe Mewtwo. Machamp. Machamp. <laughs> Just those ripped abs the yeah. whole time. Yeah. They'll they'll get, you know. Well-oiled, too. Well-oiled, ripped abs. Like, <laughs> that, he's the only one that won't be CG. We'll just get some, like, <laughs> bodybuilder guy, like... You know, like they did with Lou Ferrigno back in the day with the Hulk. Yeah, just stand in, we'll paint you blue, and uh, there you go, you're a Pokemon. Yeah, great. <laughs> oh, you know, who they, they could easily do, uh, they could get um, uh, Dave Batista. True, too. He seems to be down for things like this. He's down for weird things. <laughs> um, uh, did you see, oh, just like that uh, Disney Plus commercial he did. I didn't see that. Oh, there's an amusing one where he just is playing like uh, an old, uh, an old guy who lives in the woods. It's a commercial for Disney Plus and the you know ESPN Plus, Hulu, Star, uh, you know services. The bundle you can get in America that we can't quite get here in Canada. And it's just a, a commercial spot where he's kind of an old woodsman living out in in the forest amongst nature. And, you know, he's kind of shunned humanity kind of deal. So he's kind of kind of looks like Dave Batista meets Geralt. <laughs> he's got a long white ponytail, just full white head of hair going on. He's just in a canoe with a laptop watching Disney Plus. He's by the fire with his tablet watching Disney Plus. He's just sitting out in nature with his phone watching Disney Plus. Making comments, laughing. But it's clearly Dave Batista. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So, uh, we don't know much else beyond the fact that, uh, Net- or Netflix is apparently getting and developing a Pokemon series. Uh, it would make sense, uh, given that, that, uh, Netflix is also the home for a great many of the Pokemon animated series. Yeah, including the classic, well, the original one, which we just knew as Pokemon back yeah. in the late 90s, but it's now referred to as Indigo League because they had to, disambiguate it because you can't just say, oh, it's Pokemon. No, because there's 200 Pokemon series out there now. Oh, it's the original one, which was Indigo League. Okay. Yeah, that's the one. There you go. So but yeah, they, they have that. They have a bunch of other ones as well. A bunch of the movies. Yeah. So, and not only that, uh, Netflix, again, looking to do content with built-in fan bases, uh, and there's a big fan base built around Pokemon, as we have seen and continue to see through the years. But hey, speaking of Netflix, not only are they looking to develop content for their streaming service based around video games, they're also looking to develop video game content based on content from their streaming service. 
yeah, that if that's not a mouthful to say, yeah, it's don't worry, it it's a mouthful to take in. Kind of feels like the the you know uh, snake eating its own tail. Yeah, um, yeah. So I guess in some recent quarterly shareholder missive of some kind that Netflix put out, um, they they put out this newsletter thing saying that they uh, are viewing gaming as a quote new content category uh, that subscribers should be able to access at no extra cost. Um, I'm sure the no extra cost thing is probably not the thing shareholders wanted to hear, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Um, they said that they, they continued to say that they wanted to build on its earlier efforts around interactivity, uh, previously citing obviously the, that black mirror offshoot Bandersnatch, uh, the basically the, the Netflix choose your own adventure mm-hmm. movie thing. Uh, they also partnered with Telltale in 2018 uh, to bring an adapted version of uh, a, point of vin- uh, a point and click version of Minecraft uh, story mode to the platform. So, yeah, they're just really trying to expand that out. Um, yeah, they they went on to say we view gaming as another new content category for us, similar to our expansion into original films, animation, and unscripted television. Uh, games will be included in members' Netflix subscriptions at no additional cost, similar to films and series. Um, yeah, so... So, a, a value-added perk to being a Netflix subscriber. Yeah, well, for now, these are just going to be like little mobile apps that you access through your phone, your mobile device, phone, tablet, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's no Netflix gaming box or anything that's coming out. No Netflix game controller yet, though I could see this being the next step. You know, seeing how sta- how well I don't know if you'd consider Stadia a success, but it, I consider it a thing. Yeah, I consider Stadia a thing, but I don't know if it was a success. Maybe it's just because they didn't. Maybe Google's not there in terms of you know, where their head's at. I'd say where their technology's at, but that's not true. Google has the technology to be right there with Netflix, I assume, but maybe they just didn't have the right people on the project or something. I don't know. Google doesn't seem good at content. No. Google, well, they're also not good at, you know, putting correct resources towards good projects or potentially good projects. They're also good at killing good projects. True. I mean, people, like, it's been dead for, like, a decade now, but look at Google Reader. There's also a whole website that someone made. I think uh it's called Killed by Google, like, killedbygoogle.com, if I'm not mistaken, that basically lists all of the projects that Google, you know, put into the ground, <laughs> so to speak, and it shows how long they were live for when they were launched what it was, how long they were alive for, and its total life. There's lots and lots of them. So I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Stadia just becomes one of those. But, yeah, Netflix sees the potential, and maybe Netflix will be the one to beat everyone to the market. I know, like, there's – or to to beat a lot of these other companies at their own game because there's PlayStation Now, there's the Xbox one as well. Mm-hmm. The Xbox, I don't even remember what the Xbox one is called. The but cloud service, or yeah, the the, uh, the 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 game streaming service. Uh, I believe Game Pass. Game Pass, yeah. So there's those, but maybe I think 
Netflix is probably looking at this and going, if we make our own fun games that are maybe comparable to these AAA titles, that'll be a reason for more people to subscribe to Netflix, which could be. Which I totally understand uh, the point if that's the case because content uh, and being just the one-stop shop for content that Netflix used to be, say, 10 years ago – now is no longer the uh, unique selling point of of Netflix itself because there's so many streaming platforms out there. Yeah, it, it used to be a cord cutting endeavor. Now it's just as bad, if not worse. It's become as fractured a landscape as cable was. And, yeah, and still is. Yeah, still is. I mean, like you you can't just get a cable package. You have to get, you know, if you want this channel, you have to get this package, which includes that channel and five other channels you're not going to watch, and blah blah blah. So, that, you know, it's the same as that now. And I'm sure Netflix getting into games is only going to make it worse. But those are the times we're living in, I guess, right now. It's true. I, I wonder if we'll eventually see a Netflix game released for one of the, or based on one of the video game properties that they have on the streaming platform. <laughs> like a Netflix Castlevania game or... yeah. Or a Netflix series based on a castle, based on a uh, Netflix video game. Ooh. What would be really extremely meta is if another streaming service picked up a series based on a Netflix game. <laughs> I think we truly would be through the looking glass at that point. Yeah, that would probably be an episode of Black Mirror right yes, there. Yes, that is the singularity right there. Yeah. That's when we've crossed through and... Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any going back uh, after that point. Although, I mean, it's there. there's really no going back, given the current state of affairs in the world. But nevertheless, yeah. Uh, one last quick news item we'll get to here on this episode of the Arcade. Uh, speaking of platforms, speaking of entertainment devices, uh, uh, there's one we've spoken about uh, off and on here on this program. It's a little device that is called the Playdate. Perhaps you've heard of it. Perhaps you've seen it. You've read about it. It is a very unique concept for a gaming device. It is like a more squared off, a more squat uh, Game Boy design, but it has the addition of a hand crank along the side of the device as well. And uh, we spoke a couple weeks ago about the fact that uh, pre-orders were coming soon for it, and uh, it was basically basically right at the end of July that pre-orders for it went live. And we'll talk a bit about that about that for uh, a few minutes here. And if you had designs of getting yourself a play date and pre-ordering it uh, and getting one this year. You really had to have been Johnny on the spot for this because yeah. there was a basically an allotment of twenty thousand units that the Playdate uh, company had set aside, or Panic, the company behind the Playdate device, had set aside for uh, being able to come out and ship in the year twenty twenty one. Those all got spoken for in twenty minutes, so they sold twenty at least twenty thousand units. In 20 minutes. And anything that was pre-ordered after that initial allotment of 20,000 units went is now being looked at for a release and shipping sometime in 2022. And actually, you uh, managed to score yourself a pre-order. I did. I I, I made a pre-order. My, my order number was 25,000 something. I don't have the exact number, but it was 25,000 something. 
and it said ships 2022. Ah. So I thought, well, shoot. And I was on the day. Like, I was within a couple of hours, and I figured, well, maybe this will be good. Maybe this will be good enough. Nope, 25,000. So I guess it's a resounding success. Sure sounds like it. It sure sounds like it. And uh, I found a lot of things interesting about how Panic handled this on or on sale, this pre-order launch for the Playdate. And compared to what we have seen for other companies do with other devices, I want to say that Panic handled this uh, pre-order launch pretty well. Aside from, I guess, uh, some technical hiccups uh, at the initial launch of the uh, pre-order, uh, I guess the traffic to their site maybe knocked some services down uh, for a couple minutes. Understandable if uh, your system is overwhelmed with traffic. But uh, there was clear communication, uh, I think, throughout. And uh, they've also communicated that there, so long as there's still demand for the play date, then they, Panic, are still going to be producing the Playdate itself. or Well, not they themselves, their factory they've commissioned, I believe, in Malaysia to uh, be working on cranking out uh, Playdate devices. So uh, even if you go right now, after listening to this uh, program, and order yourself a Playdate, or pre-order yourself a Playdate, you'll still be able to, and still will likely say that it is set for uh, shipping to you sometime in 2022. Yeah, no, though, as of, uh, July 30th, they did clarify that there was a potential at this point for a 2023 bucket, which is an indication of how well this thing has been, I want to say selling, but pre-selling. Mm-hmm. Well, it's selling, like, you're being charged for your credit card and everything, so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so if you were worried that this is just a very limited, uh, uh, Bucket, li- very limited uh, order, very limited time frame in order to get the Playdate device. Uh, perhaps uh, take some solace in your fears being assuaged and that, no, uh, you'll still be able to get one. Unlike some past pieces of hardware like, you know, Nintendo and their classic editions. Yeah. No, no granted, you'll be waiting a while to get it. You will. So, like, that's, you know, there's no guarantee that you know, you'll get it anytime soon. Like, I don't even know, you know, like, I, mine's sometime in 2022. Is 25,000 early enough in the, tw- the 2022 queue? Like, how, how soon into 2022? January? February? How many per month June? are they doing? Like, no, granted, if they've got 20,000 earmarked for the next four months, maybe it's 5,000 a month, so I might get mine in January. Who knows? But still, like, if you end up in the 2023 bucket, you know, how, like, that doesn't feel very good being, like, spending money on something and not getting it for a whole more than a year. But then it's that also a catch 22 of, like, if you wait more, you have to wait. If you wait more to buy, you're just going to wait way more to get it. Mm-hmm. So, like, you might end up in a 2024 bucket. Who knows? Yeah, the the amount of time you wait to to make your pre-order uh, is not directly proportional to the amount of time you'll be waiting. No, granted, if they get to a point when it's like, this queue is ridiculous, hopefully they figure something else out where they maybe get a second manufacturer involved, you know, <laughs> because you can't have people waiting that long. Like, no. they, they also have that whole thing, in case you haven't been following along with the playdate, they do have seasons of games planned out. So they want the experience to be you play it for a week, 
you get another couple of games. You play it for a week, you get another couple of games. And they just keep coming in, you know, through no control of your own, they're just coming in over the air and like, oh, I have two new games to play this week. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that if it's, you know, you have to wait two years to get a thing. Like, people have been playing their year, their season one, season two worth of games for, like, years at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. So, uh, I believe season one is uh, something you get uh, free. Season one of games is something you get free with uh, uh, the play date. Uh, presumably, subsequent seasons would be at a charge to you. But if you're somebody who uh, is who has a pre-order coming from that 2023 bucket, uh, I wonder if you'd then be uh, given other seasons of games, like season two, maybe even season three, uh, complimentary or some sort of passcode to get them complimentary uh, because you've waited so long. Yeah, maybe. And uh, that would just be a, a uh, hot mess if you had to uh, wait and still had to then pay a whole bunch of money for season two of games, season three, season four, whatever the case might be. But uh, you can follow along with Panic. Uh, they are pretty open and uh, it seems like they're trying to be transparent and forthright about the manufacturing process of the play date, follow them along for more informa- information on their Twitter account, uh, and learn more. You can also, uh, learn more from the website for the play date as well. I think it's shop.playdate.com, something like that. And if you're interested, yeah, check it out. Uh, also bear in mind, you will be waiting. Yep. And so that's just how it is, but, uh, seems like it might be worth it. Fingers crossed that it actually is. So. Yeah, I'm hoping so. And, uh, uh, I guess we'll have to wait for your review of it too into next year. Yeah. And hopefully not too far into next year. That's true too. So, uh, uh, as I said, that was going to be our last news item, uh, for this week. It is our last news item, but that doesn't mean we are totally done with the episode this week. We still have one last piece of business to get to. It is, as always, the blast from the past, the segment of the show where we take some time to fetch some things celebrating milestone anniversaries. They can be anything we deem that we want to talk about, uh, movies, TV shows, video games, uh, uh, musical albums, whatever the case might be, whatever tickles our fancy. And we have two items this this week, both from the world of music, uh, but not uh, both. But both of them are, or one of them is not directly uh, a piece of music. It is related to and from the world of music. But uh, one is fairly young, as we are fetting its fifteenth anniversary. The other one, much much older, as we fet its fifty fifth anniversary. And of the two, where would you like to start this week? Um, we could probably start with the younger of the two. All right, the younger of the two. We'll see us go back all the way to August 6th of the year 2006, for that was the date when this particular TV series made its debut in the Adult Swim programming block on Cartoon Network, which is a, uh, a very robust programming block to uh, get some weird, uh, some off-kilter, some very niche and perhaps uh, uh, non-mainstream animated programming. Yeah, the like or, that, those were the halcyon days of like when Adult Swim was really had found what its niche was and was like very like going hard with like all sorts of weird experimental content that felt like it was made for our age group <laughs> specifically. Like it was like fine precision tuned for you know not every bit of every show was for everyone, 
but like everyone who is like, you know, maybe a bit of like, you know, a nerdier person in our age range would find something in an adult swim block and go, Oh, I love this. And I think for a lot of us, myself included, Metalocalypse was that thing, you know, because up to that point, like, you know, I was always like, you know, a heavy metal nerd kid, you know, like I played guitar, you know, I listened to all the death metal and stuff growing up, whatever else, like, you know, but you know, where we're from, there wasn't really a lot of that, like in, you know, our group of, you know, people we went to high school with, I think I was the only one. (laughs) (laughs) You You were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you were the most obvious one. Yeah. And I was the one who, you know, like other people listened to metal, like, you know, Metallica and stuff was kind of like a common, you know, thing, but like. Yeah. You'd walk around in a cradle of felt shirt. Yeah. Like, like other people weren't doing that. Like, it's like I had a deicide shirt. I had a, you know, cradle of filth. Like, you know, the people weren't listening. Like the, the heaviest the people usually went was like maybe Pantera, but then it's like, oh, I'm like, Hey, want to, you know, hear the new, want to hear this Slayer album? Want to do this? Like, you know, like we're getting into heavier and heavier things. Like we had a Brazilian exchange student and the first thing I asked them what, was what does Sepultura mean? <laughs> and they're like, uh, grave. Why? I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it meant nothing to anyone else, but I was like, okay, cool. But so anyways, but like, yeah, but I was always into like, also like, like, I think I was also a bit of a comedy nerd growing up as well. Like I, I, had a, I was very specific comedy taste. Like I, I loved old Simpsons. I loved, you know, Mel Brooks movies, things like that. So it was like, there wasn't really much crossover between the two. Anytime you saw metal referenced, it was always people talking about, you know, you know, and something, you know, maybe mainstream or like in the context of the 1980s. And it was never modern and was never like what was currently going on. So when like I first saw Metalocalypse, like, I had to do a double take and had to make sure it wasn't just a one-off weird... Because sometimes they also had those one-off things that were just like, you catch it once and it, you'll never see it again. And it'll show up maybe ten years later as, like, a cult hit video. Yeah, uh, maybe it uh, was just like a pilot episode for something on uh, Adult Swim, but uh, never got picked up beyond that. Yeah, but I remember I saw the first episode of Metalocalypse, and I was like... Holy crap. I told all of my friends, I'm like, you have to see this. It's a show for us finally. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and like, literally like, you know, like I watched every episode. I, you know, that was in the days of like, you know, just in the days of like high speed internet really starting to start. So yeah, like I managed to download all the episodes as well and we'd watch them over and over again. People would start, you know, we were quoting Dr. Roxo and stuff at each other. And it was just like ridiculous. And yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe that it's 15 years old already, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I love Metalocalypse. It was unfortunate that for a while that, well, they basically canceled it without letting Brendan Small, the creator, voice of several characters, writer and performer of all of the music, guitar virtuoso, frankly, I, mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, Brendan Small, they didn't let him finish it. And to the point where like, he kind of had to like subtly try to re like tell the story through other musical means, uh, not under the Metalocalypse or and or death clock name. Mm-hmm. But, you know, finally, uh, they, they greenlit a direct to video movie, like a, a final way to put a 
bow on everything, which is good. Yes, after the, uh, uh, I believe the last season, quote unquote, of Metalocalypse was a special, like a, a musical movie special. Which was fantastic, by the way. Doomstar Requiem. Yeah. Uh, but it ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah, it did. And, uh, Brendan Small basically did his damnedest in the years after Doomstar Requiem came out to get Cartoon Network and, and the powers that be to allow another season, hell, even another special for him to finish things up, hell, even maybe a run of comics or another album, and he was turned down at every possible opportunity. But, thanks to streaming services, uh, he has been greenlit and is going to be doing a I believe, fourth and I'd imagine final uh, season, but it's going to be a direct-to-streaming thing. Direct- well, well, direct-to-video film. Direct-to-video film, but it's also for streaming as well, I believe, yeah. on HBO Max. Uh, that uh, will be another big musical or metal musical opera special that is uh, going to conclude, uh, is going to pick up, too, right after the uh, end of Doomstar Requiem. So the cliffhanger that uh, Doomstar Requiem ended on is going to be the starting point for this fourth uh, season slash this new special. And it's going, it's going to be amazing, but also too the first episode of Metalocalypse when it aired on August 6th, 2006, I mean, in America, wherever you saw it and however you saw it afterwards, who the hell cares? doesn't matter. As long as you still saw it. I think that's one of the best damn episodes. Oh Yeah. Well, like, right, like, from start to finish, I was laughing the whole time, and I, I was laughing at, like, how ridiculous and crass and outrageous all of the jokes and everything were, and how matter-of-factly people were just dying and getting limbs ripped off and stuff, and people were just kind of, like, blasé about it, like, meh! (laughs) Like, that was funny. But then I was also funny, like, like, laughing at, like, the ridiculous, like, references to metal culture that were just slipped in. Like, the... Like, I think it was, uh, there was a reference, I think, to Dimu Borgir in the first episode with, like, the... Oh, the, Dimu Burger? Yeah, the, well, yeah, but I th- there was some... Or it might have been a reference to Emperor or something like that. Like, deep metal references and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, the the grocery store in the first scene was something like Yian Transom Food Porium or something, which is, like, a reference to... Like, I don't think that's exactly what it was, but it was something like that. Reference to, you know... Some album, like, you know, like an Emperor album called Dean Trans Imperium. I think that that's what pops into my head, but it was a pun like that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, but it was something like that. But then they also had like a lot of like actual metal musicians. Like Metallica was, you know, James Hetfield and Kirk Hammett of Metallica were guest voice actors in one of the episodes in the first season. Like, <laughs> James, like George Corpsegrinder Fisher, like had recurring roles. Like he was like, they realized he's funny and has a good dynamic voice for all sorts of like stuff. Cause you know, he's a death metal vocalist, but he's a great death metal vocalist. So that means he's got great diaphragm control and a good voice. So they used him in a bunch of stuff. King diamond was the manager of Demo burger in Nathan explosions, like fantasy <laughs> where King diamonds calling him an idiot. And like, Oh, he's so stupid. He can't do anything. And his King diamond, like, <laughs> His raspy King Diamond voice, not the high King Diamond voice, but it's just like, there's like real metal people in all this stuff. And Brendan Small is like pointing out, these people are all really funny, by the way, and they have great voices, and 
I'm going to use this. And the whole culture itself is ridiculous, but it's ridiculous, and it knows it's ridiculous. Why hasn't anyone made a show about this? Oh, I guess I will. On the one hand, it's taking the piss out of metal culture, but on the other, at the same time it's doing that, it's also kind of being, you know, a, a fun, loving reference to metal culture. And every episode had a different song. That's right, too. Where there was like, every episode ended with about, you know, a two-minute song, which at the end of the first season culminated in an actual album that he released. He he hired Gene Hoagland to play drums. Gene Hoagland, who's a mainstay of the whole metal underground, he's been in, like, Testament. He played with Opeth. He was in Death. He played with Strapping Young Lad. Like, he's legit metal, like, I want to say royalty, but that sounds ridiculous, but, like, he's, like, a legendary metal drummer. Tapped him to play drums on the album. It's a fantastic album. Really is. It still holds up. Yeah. Death Album 1 is worth your time. Yeah. But, uh... And on there was the song from the very first episode, which was a metal coffee jingle. Yeah, the Duncan Hills coffee jingle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's... If you like metal and you like comedy... And you've never seen Metalocalypse, you're doing yourself a great disservice. You need to watch it. You yeah. need to see it. You need to be introduced to it. The first episode, I think, is uh, the best, uh, one of the best episodes through the entire series. Uh, it's a great gateway into it. I distinctly recall uh, when I first saw the first episode, I was actually, I saw it first on Adult Swim, actually. Yeah, so did I. Uh, I was on a road trip in America with my family, and being in a hotel room in, in the United States, you, of course, or just being in a hotel anywhere other than where you live, you're going to get different cable channels. So being in America was even more foreign because, well, there's so many different cable channels, and uh, I had access to the TV and, and had the remote control and put it on Cartoon Network, which at that time of night was Adult Swim, was the debut of uh, uh, Metalocalypse, and I saw an ad for it earlier in the evening, and I thought, well, okay, I'll watch that. What the hell is that? Looks insane. I have to watch it. And at the same time I'm trying to watch it, my sister's fighting me for control of the remote, because she does not want to watch it. It is not up her alley, and I didn't care. I managed to retain control, because I'm stronger and bigger. <laughs> she lost that battle. And so I sat there watching the whole episode, and I was basically just on the bed dying laughing the whole time for for the 15 minutes that the first episode was. Yeah. And it was worth it. The It was worth the battle I had to go through. The battle just made it, you know, made the payoff that much more worth it. But uh, that's an interesting thing about the series, too. It's... Was 15 minute episodes for the first cup, like first year or two? And yeah, then, first two seasons, yeah. And then season three became full half hour episodes. Or maybe it was, yeah, yeah, that, that seems right. Yeah. Followed by the, uh, the, the special Doomstar Requiem and then now the, the pending fourth or I keep, I'll call it season four for the sake of simplicity, but the next special. Yeah. So, uh, Metalocalypse is well worth your time. It debuted 15 years ago. Uh, Brendan Small is a genius. He's a great comedy writer. He does a bunch of the voices. Uh, Mark Hamill is a recurring voice on the show as well. Yep. Malcolm McDowell. Uh, worth it. I also can't understate how an amazing of a guitar player he is. Like, Brendan Small, like, there's the joke, you know, Squiscar, Squig Elf, the lead guitar player of, Metal- of uh, Death uh, Clock. Death Clock. The, like, the, the main band of the show. Yeah. 
it's, he's supposed to be this virtuoso and stuff, and like, oh, yeah, has all these ripping guitar solos. Those are actually played by Brandon Small. <laughs> like, he's not just, like, yeah, he's listed as one of the creators, and he's, you know, a voice actor on the show, but he plays all of, plays and writes all of the music that you hear. So, I want to eat his brain and gain his powers. Yes. He also has a signature Epiphone model, by the way, which looks pretty, it's a nice looking guitar. Take your word for it. How much is it? Is it worth it? I don't know, actually. I haven't really looked into it. All right, well. So I'm looking to ye who who has gas, gear acquisition <laughs> syndrome. Yes. N- not just that you ate a, uh, you know. Anything? Uh, yeah. Ate anything and you got a, got some bubblies in the tummy. Yeah. Metal uh, Oculus, well, well worth your time. So that is a music-related item here on the Blast from the Past. But we have uh, another item, like I said, 55 years old. It is an actual piece of music. Yes. Uh, it is not heavy, although it was an entirely different sound, or, or was starting to become an entirely different sound for this band. Uh, basically, the transition period uh, for them, for this band, because on August 5th, 1996, or 1966, 96, ha! 1966 saw the release of this band's album. The album title is Revolver. The band is The Beatles. Yeah, this is almost one of those goofy ones where it's like, you know, at least five songs from this album, probably. So we don't really need to talk about it, but you know, we'll mention it. It's classic album. It's a classic album. It's a great album. I mean, if you haven't heard it, I mean, at this point, it would almost have to be a conscious effort to just, like, refuse to hear any Beatles songs, like... Like they're they're part of the fabric of society at this point. It's true. Uh, even without actively seeking them out, you you will have heard at least Yellow Submarine at least once or twice in your life. Yeah, you might have heard Taxman. You might have heard Eleanor Rigby. You might have heard Here There Everywhere. Mm-hmm. You probably heard Good Day, like Good Day Sunshine. Good Day Sunshine. You know, you know, maybe Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah, there's there's tons of there's. T- yeah, but yeah, you mentioned this is like sort of a transition period because there was a little bit of dabbling of it on Rubber Soul, but this album is, I think, the one that firmly started their psychedelic period. Yes. Like the Beatles discovered, oh, they all like LSD. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're on LSD. Let's start experimenting with crazy sounds and weird song ideas and maybe strange instrumentation. So you would hear like a lot of Indian raga and stuff influence in all of this as well. Oh yeah, like the song "Love You Too" is just thick with sitar. Yeah, with, with like four C's thick. Yeah, exactly. As the kids say. <laughs> yeah, she thick though <laughs> is what I would say about that sitar in that song. Um, yeah, it's it's a very it's a solid album. I mean, start to finish. Most Beatles albums are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll. There are people that don't like the Beatles. Fine, whatever. You have your reasons. I don't understand them at all. But yeah, fair enough. But this this was a transition album from uh, the first couple. Of, like the Beatles, literally, uh, I think were entirely uh, encompassed in the '60s. Their discography was, and the first couple of albums were them being young lads doing more standard rock and roll. Yeah, like and Mercy Beat, whatever. Exactly. 
And this is the middle period of them trying to uh, kind of transition out of that, but not the full wall of sound, absolutely experimental things we'd get later on with, uh, you know, Sergeant Peppers. Yeah, Sergeant Peppers, the White Album, Abbey Road, like. Yeah. The things where it's just multiple layers of sound, uh, and a lot of, uh, all about the arrangement, uh, you know, um, that you'd get from their producer and what they were experimenting with. So, uh, Sir George, Sir, Sir George Martin, which is hard to say sometimes, uh, and just a real enjoyable listen all throughout, but still hewing to some of their, their initial, uh, successes with a lot of, you know, songs based around love and, uh, still some songs that are a slight bit in the vein of traditional rock and roll, but they might be a bit heavier, um, tuned down a bit, whatever the case might be, but it's not the full on just bright pop songs they were making. Yeah. Well, I know like it's not on this album, but like we were driving our niece somewhere, you know, she was like, Oh, let's like to hear a Beatles song and I put on I Want You She's So Heavy and she was like this is the Beatles? I was like yeah <laughs> like absolutely is the Beatles she's like oh well this isn't what I was expecting I'm like do you not like it? she's like no it's really good it's like yeah <laughs> it's like for some reason I think the people who might say they don't like the Beatles have it in their head that it's just she loves me yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like it's more than that they did a lot of crazy stuff. Like, have you heard Helter Skelter? Have you heard While My Guitar Gently Weeps? Like, uh, I, I recall having this conversation with a, a friend of mine, uh, several years ago. Uh, he's not the biggest Beatle fan, feels, uh, perhaps, uh, the songs that are so commonly played, uh, perhaps are overplayed and perhaps he's heard it too much and just isn't really worth all the songs he's heard being overplayed don't justify the hype and whatnot. So I think he somewhat snidely asked me what my favorite Beatles song is, perhaps expecting I'd say one of the the common things. And my answer was Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Yeah. Great song. He wasn't familiar with it. And I just said, yeah, it's a whole song basically about someone being murdered with a hammer and doing killing with a hammer. But it's the most poppy, catchy song. Yeah. But the subject matter is just dark and horrible. Yeah. And that contrast is what makes it amazing. They also have a song called Why Can't We Do It in the Road? <laughs> it's just Paul McCartney asking a woman why why can't they just have sex in the middle of the road? <laughs> and that's all he says in the whole song. It's like two minutes long. He's just saying, why can't we do it in the road? No one will be watching us. Why don't we do it in the road? <laughs> it's the whole song. Like, that's insane. <laughs> Like, that's not, like, whatever stupid misconception you have about the Beatles, like, that's hilarious. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> and that is them shedding their, their good clean cut, uh, young lad, uh, image from the first couple albums. When yeah. they first broke onto the scene with the, you know, screaming mobs of girls chasing them, their bus, and basically drowning them out on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. So this is the album that uh, I think was smack dab in the middle of uh, their discography, uh, middle of their their time in the 60s. Again, 55 years old, having been released on August 5th, 1996. The album is Revolver. Uh, it is worth your effort, as uh, the majority of Beatles albums are. Yeah. 
I, I think ultimately, if you really want to go on the deepest Beatles dive, the White Album would be the way to go. But, I mean, Revolver is a really good place to start if you, you know, want to hear a band that just was just like, you know what? We're done with that whole goofy whatever pop thing. We're just going to enter the second half of our career and really go crazy and see what we can do in the studio. Yeah. Again, Yellow Submarine was on this album. Yeah. Like, it's a goddamn crazy song about a Yellow Submarine uh, just going around in the ocean, which then spawned a whole other animated movie that uh, you and I have seen. And... You know, we don't like to cheapen things by simply chalking them up to drugs, but the Yellow Submarine animated movie, uh, based, you know, that was based on the song from this album, literally is drugs. Like, you cannot watch that movie and not at any point question if you are sober, even if you know you're sober. Yeah. It's not a good movie. It, no. <laughs> I'm just gonna it just put it keeps, up there. It keeps going. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that's, that is the best review, I think, of the movie. It just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> like, we saw it in the theater when they had some re-release a while back, a few, well, I guess two, three years ago at this point, and it was just a little bit of a slog to get through. Yeah, it was, because it was just trippy psychedelic animations the whole time. Yeah, which, they're a bit much when you're not on drugs. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, that album, that song, Yellow Submarine, was on this album. Many others, like Taxman, uh, uh, Good Day Sunshine, Eleanor Rigby, uh, all on this album. Well worth your time to listen to. Get reacquainted with it. If, uh, if you feel you're out of touch with it, check it out again. Again, The Beatles, their album Revolver, and before that, we spoke about the 15th anniversary of the de- debut of uh, of the TV series Metalocalypse uh, in an Adult Swim mainstay for a couple years. Uh, that is going to get a fourth season in the form of a uh, musical special. It is going to be great. It's going to wrap up the series. Will be worth your time, and uh, maybe at that point, just uh, rewatch the series again. Uh, from start to finish, it uh, will be enjoyable. But Metalocalypse, fifteen years old. Absolutely, time flies. It sure does. <laughs> but uh, speaking of time, it has flown by on this episode of the Arcade, and we thank you so much for joining us once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. I am Mike the Legend, and I uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and will encourage you to, if you haven't already, follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Facebook at the Arcade Show on both those platforms. And if uh, if you don't enjoy the Beatles and you have uh, some bones to pick with us about that or anything else you heard on this program, you can send us an email, info at com. And if you haven't subscribed to our program already, we are on iTunes, we are on Google Podcasts. You can find our pages on both of those platforms right there on our homepage of the Arcade Show dot com. Hey, hey, we were able to do it. Son of a bitch. <laughs> we hadn't been doing that because obviously you can't you can't sync up things like that when you're talking over the wire. Yep. Uh the old tin cans and string just uh, don't allow that. No. Yep. The tubes that carry the internet don't allow for it. So uh yeah. Don't give me that look. The internet's made of tubes. Everyone knows it. 
Yeah, yeah, mm, fair enough. Yeah, fair. Okay. Uh, but, uh, that about does us, uh, for this particular episode. If, uh, you are expecting an episode next week, just a little spoiler alert, we have, uh, schedule conflicts for next week that will prevent us from releasing one then, but we'll be with you again eh, towards the middle slash latter part of August, say two-ish weeks away. Uh, we'll get together again, hopefully, and, uh, uh bring you some new enjoyable audio content, but, uh, until then, good night, everybody. Good night.